0: Kia ora, Ko Anne O'Brien Tukuenga, a Kaiorangi or Waituhi or Tamaki No Mai Hare Mai. I'm Anne O'Brien, director of the Auckland Writers Festival Waituhi or Tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2021 event. Writing an honest and deeply personal memoir takes a certain degree of courage, and the journey can be fraught. In Lil O'Brien's Not That I'd Kiss a Girl she movingly recounts the fallout from her parents' accidental discovery of her sexual orientation. Literary star Charlotte Grimshaw embarks on a search for familial truth and parental accounting in the Mirror Book. And prize-winning children's author Kyle Mewburn charts her lifelong feeling of being somehow wrong, like strawberry jam in a spinach can, and her remarkable transformation from husband to woman in Faking It. Join these three brave writers for a discussion of stories told, lives exposed, and the dynamics of revealing the personal in these remarkable works. This session is chaired by Claire Maybe. We hope you enjoy it. Today we're
1: going to talk about three exceptional and important memoirs. They have all rightly been described as brave. Each of them contain trauma as well as triumph. And now these books are out in the world, they have entered into a dialogue with us, the readers, with other writers, with other pieces of text and other books, they relate to each other. Because each of these remarkable books are case studies for the universal truth that often it is the people who love us the most and who we love the most who can hurt us the most. So we want to say to you, to the audience, to take care of yourselves today. We all have families. Some things that we might talk about could bring things up for you, so take care today. We all have tissues with us as well. On the stage, we have Charlotte Grimshaw. She's the author of the recently released The Mirror Book a compelling, masterful memoir about a writer and a writer's family seeking to understand and to assert the truth among what she describes as a wall of fiction. Charlotte has received numerous awards, including the Montana Book Awards Fiction Award for Opportunity, Reviewer of the Year in the Voyager Media Awards, and the buddle Finlay Sargent Fellowship in 2000. Lil O'Brien, author of Not That I'd Kiss a Girl, an important memoir about an accidental outing, about being thrown out, and about coming out in the intensity and the terror of love and lust. Lil is an award-winning copywriter who likes to dabble in projects on the side, including writing columns and even fan fiction, usually centered around the LGBTQ community, lesbian pop culture, and the queer experience. And we have Kyle Mewburn, author of Faking It, My Life in Transition. It's a book about the journey to becoming who you always have been, and there is a real glorious love story at the heart of it. Kyle is a children's writer whose books range from picture books to junior fiction. She has won many awards, including multiple children's choice awards and a children's book of the year award for Old Who Who. Please welcome the writer. At the beginning, the epitaph at the beginning of Charlotte's incredible memoir reads, perhaps the best way to write is to do so as if one were already dead, afraid of no one's reactions, answerable to no one's views. And that's from Nadine Gordimer. When I read that back after reading your memoir, I felt that this was almost a war cry or a mantra that you might have needed to steal yourself for the work of writing and publishing this book. So I wanted to start by asking all of you, what were you frightened about? What scared you about writing these books and publishing them? But why did you do it anyway? And I wondered, Kyle, if we could start with you.
2: Me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the sound is terrible, I hear the conversation coming from around here. Um, I was contemplating writing my memoir, but as a writer that's what you think about, but I wouldn't have done it so early if I hadn't been asked by my published approach by Claire from Penguin. Um, and I'd already gone through the frightening bits, the frightening bits are actually coming out in a rural community of um, 200 people. And when I first came out, uh, our friend who's a fourth generation uh, local, her first reaction was, oh, no, you're going to have to leave the valley. So I sort of thought I'd write the story to explain. My, my whole idea was to explain in, in clear, concrete terms. Well, not concrete, actually, more metaphorical terms that people could relate to because people often talk about transition as a butterfly and metamorphosis And I don't feel like a butterfly, I feel like, you know, a turtle that cracks out of, you're buried in the soil and you crack out of your shell and you drag yourself up to the top surface and you look out and say, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) There's hundreds of meters of beach with birds and then you think, oh, no, I'm not going to make this. (laughs) And um, I wasn't frightened about um, I, I'm into into being open, and um, once you've come out as well, that sort of opens up your whole, you know, your soul. is like, well, I'm here, I'm doing my thing, I'm speaking my truth, not gonna hold back. And my family, has, we're not that close. And I think if I was close to my parents or my siblings, I might have had that moment of doubt, which I'm sure some of you, you know, the other two might have had. And I was a bit disconnected from them, so I was like, well, I've got nothing to lose, I assumed, I I actually assumed I was going to lose two of my brothers and they've surprised me, unfortunately, by saying they're happy with it, so.
1: (laughs) Lil, what about you? What what frightened you?
3: Um, I mean, I come from quite a culture of silence in my family. Um, I was outed to them, which I did myself, good one, um, when I was 19 um, and Over the 16 years since we, I've had maybe two conversations with my father related to it but zero with my mother. My mother has never acknowledged what happened or never talked about anything they you know um, so you know for many years it was just you know there was a vacuum really around it so um, I knew that by I was just breaking the mold by by talking about everything and um, interrogating what happened and, and, and applying <laughs> any kind of emotion to the whole thing um, because we'd kind of rebuilt, um, I, I call it kind of rebuilt a relationship on rotten foundations, which they didn't seem to realise, but for me it was never, oh, it was never tenable. It was, it was working, but it became less and less, um, it worked less and less for me. So it, it, it was very scary to think of really breaking the rules by talking about what had happened. Um, And and, I mean, that stopped me writing for up to a year at times. I was just like, what am I doing? Even the act of writing down what happened seemed to be, was terrifying at times, let alone the thought of putting it out in the world. Um, Yeah, so that was a very real fear, but ultimately, even though I was so scared, I always knew that I was prepared for the consequences. Um, I always pretty much knew that I would lose my relationship with my parents by publishing it, but it was never really a question of doing it or not. It's just simply had to be done. Mm.
1: And Charlotte, what about you? Uh,
4: well, I, um, I think I, I embarked on writing the book, it was just a sort of compulsion because I had a crisis. Um, I had a really serious personal crisis. Serious for me. I mean, it wasn't uh, particularly unusual, but for me it seemed to be much more... Um, traumatic than it ought to have been, um, and I thought something is very wrong here, so I, I went through this personal sort of um, moment of absolute crisis, and so I started writing the book um, when I had co- somewhat come through that, and I wanted to write about it, to, it was just a compulsion, but as I was writing it, I had this, I think it was, I mean looking back, I realised it was very unrealistic, but I... As I was writing it, I wasn't actually, what I thought was, you know, if I set this out really carefully, and if I really explain myself, um, people will understand, <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, you know, people in my family, they will, they'll sort of, it'll open their eyes somewhat, or it will, you know, they'll think, ah, you know, now I understand, or, or, and I thought it would um, lay a foundation for something more open, maybe. And of course, um, you know I, I realized now that that was um, that was unrealistic, um, because I then came under huge pressure not to publish it, um, and um, you know the reaction in some of my family was was absolutely furious so, um, so so when I was doing it, I wasn't sort of frightened all the way through. I was more just driven to do it, and then um, and, 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 you know, then I became frightened, you know. Um, so I think that, you know, I embarked on it in a spirit of sort of optimism. You know, there, there must be a better way. There must be better ways to, to treat each other and, and um, we can discuss this and things like that. Um, and, and so I think all, all the trouble came raining down on me after I'd actually finished it, if that makes sense.
2: It does. I think um, that's, um, like Lil said, It's that you have to be prepared to, for the losses otherwise you can't face the truth, you won't be truthful, you won't really get to the heart of it if you always have this thing that this might affect someone, you have to actually disconnect you from that and say well I'm going to take this because the truth is here, if people can't handle the truth then yeah. they either shouldn't read my book or shouldn't have anything to do with me.
4: But also I have, a, there's another thing is, is, is that when I'm writing something that was as so focused as this, I didn't actually have an eye to anything except just trying to sit down accurately what um, I was trying to describe and trying to think, what now what was going on, what did it mean? How can I try to convey this? And so there's a sort of, you know, almost a solipsistic thing where you, you, you're trying to get it right and you're not actually looking outside because I uh, actually, to be honest as well, I was also horrified when I looked back immediately after what I'd confessed. So there was that as well, yeah. No what I'd revealed, which I'd never revealed yeah. before,
1: yeah. And you, uh, one reviewer said this about your book, that there was a sense that here was a writer saving herself by I writing know I lo- the that book. Was,
4: I loved that actually,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so do you feel less defined? by your childhood and the experiences you've had now that the book is written and published? Less defined? Defined, Well, yeah. I
4: just feel, I feel liberated from the strange effect that I was trying to describe, the strange way that I the, the rigidity that I grew up with. I do feel um, that I've changed, really changed, and that it has saved me in some sense. Um, and and so I've it's, yeah actually yes is the answer yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, the yes. short right. answer is yes, yes. Short <laughs> answer, yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
1: Lil, you alluded before to the feeling and the sense that you were going to lose your relationship with your parents can I ask what your relationship with your parents is now because the book has been out for about a year hasn't it
3: yeah July last year um, to be honest I could write perhaps not a whole book but. Certainly, a series of essays about what's happened <laughs> since. Um, and I think, you know, interestingly enough, my book is, was really a story about my coming of age and coming to terms with myself. They just happened to be in it, and it was kind of never really supposed to be about them. And I think anyone that's read my book will probably understand that I don't really do a deep dive into their background, and as you've talked about, Claire, we talked about it yesterday, and I kind of, the last chapter kind of goes over, um, kind of focuses on the relationship since then quite quickly, and I think that's because I just hadn't processed it at all, and because we hadn't talked about it, but since the book has kind of thrown a bomb into the waters of the family, um, I mean, they stopped speaking to me, immediately as expected, and I, I this kind of like a cycle of trauma that's come back around. That the same behaviours that happened when I came out, which was absolute silence and a cutting off, um, and then just kind of explosive um, text messages with a lot of blaming and how could you do this to us and throw this under throw us under the bus and we hope you're happy and you've achieved what you wanted to do, which was obviously destroying the family and so. Um, it's, there's a lot of familiarity um, in the cycle that's that's happened, um, but I guess the difference is that I have changed and I'm not a 19 year old who was still very attached to my parents um, it, you know, I'm kind of, I've been through a lot myself and also started going to counselling, which has been really good, um, I, I avoided it for a long time because I felt like I've done, I've dealt with this, you know, I don't want to open up the can of worms um, so I've kind of chosen to step outside of the role that I've been playing in the family um, since my coming out and I guess always, which is the peacemaker and the compromiser um, and just willing to play the role of the perfect daughter and not talk about things in order to get along. Um, And writing the book really broke that and I don't think they've accepted that I am no longer playing that role. So it's been a very, um, I, I imagine it's been a very traumatic and difficult time for them However, I've um, come to the realisation that I can't fix it and it's something larger than the book and it's something larger than um, being about my sexuality at this point. So I've really had to, the last, since the book came out, it's been a huge um, uh, emotional roller coaster for me and very difficult time emotionally, but I feel finally free in a way.
1: And Kyle, what about your family? In your memoir, there is quite a beautiful moment with your mum who does leave your family and your story um, because of your father, presumably, and his um, violence and, and difficult uh, behavioural patterns. But there is a beautiful moment and I wonder if you could talk about that.
2: Yeah, I... I... My mother's a difficult situation. She um, left when my first child, my first brother was 21. She was 17 when she had the first. She was 22 when she had four children and was expecting to have some fun. She was quite a lively person. And my father, I don't think he believes in fun. (laughs) He believes in control and domination. And he, he was never violent in terms of, except for giving us the strap and, so she left and we didn't really have much to do with her, she was got into abusive relationships and her partner, we couldn't really deal with her partner, so we sort of distanced ourselves a bit from her. But um, I, you have that mother thing still, which you can't escape from. So my father stopped talking to me 12 years ago for unrelated issues, and to this day he doesn't know that I'm trans or come out. I'm just waiting for the Courier Mail in Brisbane to publish something in the ne- next couple of weeks, you might read it. <laughs> Front page. Uh, I've been there. And um, but my mother, I, I, the only two people I talked, I actually told in person, because I'm really good at writing. I'm a writer, so I so I wrote uh, to most people. I wrote a long email to my um, to Marion, of course, my first one, my wife, was the most traumatic thing I've ever done in my life, to face that and to say those words, and I was literally couldn't not speak for three minutes, until, in pacing up and down, and she said, what's wrong, are you, you you're dying? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm, I'm in the wrong body and stuff, and she went, oh, is that all? <laughs> and um, my mother, so I saved my mother until the end, and she's in Brisbane, she doesn't have social media, she doesn't have much contact, and finally I called her and said, Mum, I've got something to tell you. And I said, I'm, I'm transgender, and she said, oh, does that mean you like wearing women's clothes? And I went Yeah, but (laughs) but there's more to it than that. And she then then she went, Oh right. Oh my car's going good. (laughs) And that was the end of the conversation. So but her car was going good, so
1: (laughs) And and she also called you sweet pea and you said you've never You've I know, I called, called her up,
2: uh, the, first, the next week I called her up and obviously she had processed this and had even probably researched a little bit and she rang, rang up and said, oh, hello, Sweet Pea. <laughs> I went, you've never called me Sweet Pea before and she said, well, you've never been my daughter before.
1: So I go. And Charlotte, your, um, the context for your book is is a bit of a (laughs) headache. You're a writer in a writer's family and you talk about that. That's quite a refrain in your memoir. And we can see, I guess, the fallout perhaps still playing out for you. Um, And I'm referring there to your sister's article in The Listener. And um, I'd like to ask, if it's okay, what your relationship is like with your sister and with Kay and Carlin, and, and whether anything has improved lately <laughs> <laughs> or uh, um,
4: Well, I, I mean, I have to say it's, it's complicated, um, and I, I'm, I, as far as my sister's piece goes, there's one thing that I really, really struck me about it is that it seems to airbrush our brother out altogether, and so... I have had, with my brother, I've had some absolutely fascinating and quite hectic phone calls, um, in which he has said to me consistently um, that that he loves the book and that uh, these are his memories, Um, and also from some other members of the extended family, um, and so there's that, and and we've actually, I felt that in some of our discussions we got really quite... um, closer than we've been for a long time Um, but then yes my sister wrote a piece in the listener which was very nice Um, and it was just it it it, it sort of oddly said that um, my my parents story was their story to tell but she but she was telling it which was slightly inconsistent. But yeah, I I just felt that it was, um, that there's an inability. I was trying to get at, you know, why, you know, I had written my book, and then she just happened to decide to write a piece, which um, seemed to sort of suggest that, you know, I mean, not not that I was a lying cow necessarily, but that I was an ungrateful wretch, and that it was, you know. And I was thinking that it's it's almost there's a sort of an ability maybe in our family to see that both things can be true. You know, there can be both. And so it's not just that one person is a saint and one person is is, is nasty and bad. It's that it's extremely complex, and that people can have relationships with one family member, which are are golden and lovely, and have relationships with another family member that are really, really problematic. And there seemed to be an inability to understand that it could be that complicated. So if I had painted a picture that they felt wasn't, um, you know, complimentary enough, she felt that she had to come in and, and, um, you know, sort of polish the, the, the facade back up to scratch, you know. And so, um, the, so my reaction was, you know, I, on, I did write the book w- with the idea in mind that it had to be that everybody could say that it wasn't true if they wanted to. So I had to accept it, but I, I felt that it was a
1: fairly, you know, it was pretty airbrushed. I thought, yeah. It, it certainly seemed to affirm why you needed to write the book to me. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I thought it did too, yeah, I didn't think that,
1: yeah. I'd like to talk about memory for a bit, and Kyle, in your memoir, you, you say, our family's history is a pinboard of memory fragments without context of overarching narrative, and to me that seems a perfect way to, to encapsulate how a lot of people, I think, think about memories as kind of fragmented slightly abstract, and and possibly hard to piece together. So I wanted to ask you all about that and how you marshaled your memories to create these works of art, because I mean, that's what we're doing here, I think, Um, and how you tested your memories, what you used, and if you felt you had to corroborate yourself. Lo, what about you?
3: Um, Well, I guess my memoir began, I think I started writing it when I was about 24. Um, and it took me seven years, and it began as, I don't know what sparked it in particular that day, but I wrote down an angry list of all the shit things that my parents had ever done to me. (laughs) Um, And then I thought, okay, well now I'll write down a list of all the funny things to do with like, you know, trying to figure out my sexuality and, you know, at the time I was um, at Otago University so there's a lot of drunken misbehaviors and um, just like foolish decisions and, and things like that. So I, then I wrote down, you know, the funny things. Um, and then I guess I just started trying to string it all together so that it wasn't a series of anecdotes. Um, and I guess it's quite interesting having read Charlotte's book to see the way the f- sophistication in which she... Um, I feel like I kind of approached, um, I had like a, a, it was a a timeline, I guess, um, because it was about someone coming to realisation that they were gay and then coming out, whereas Charlotte seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you kind of seem to explore like behaviours or or themes or certain things and your anecdotes um, illustrate those, whereas mine was kind of about how do I plonk all these together? That was where I began. Um, I'm not, you know, I haven't written a book before, um, and I did, but I do happen to be someone who's always been uh, like the memory person out of my friends, so I never kept a diary. I, I kept a diary that I would find every year or two, um, and that was quite interesting to go back and see where I'd actually fudged the truth, you know, about what my relationship was with my best friend in high school, because I wasn't ready to face that in myself, so there was a lot of lying to myself at the beginning. Um, but I have lots of notes and, and little pieces of writings, and, That was the hardest part to be honest, was to kind of go back and figure out the time frame because a lot really happened in 2004, a lot happened. Um, I came out, um, I kind of had gone through a process and I came out to my friends. Um, I kind of met the girl on the internet and had like a whirlwind romance. My parents found out, lost the relationship with them, had the first girlfriend, slept with anyone for the first time. It was like a a, a whole lot happened Um, and that, Seemed quite vivid, but what I and because I was facing the trauma of losing my relationship with my parents, I guess I remember all the fun stuff quite clearly because I was very much trying to block out all the, the bad stuff with my family, so it was quite difficult to go back and think about. I had these memories of, of things, the times that they made me feel terrible, um, but 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 figuring out actually the time frame. When did I go and like stay with my cousin because I had to get out of the house because they found out that I'd snuck my girlfriend into the house or something. Like when did that happen? So, and and to be honest, the thing that I was most worried about in publishing the memoir was when I shared it like with my sister or whoever, for example, that they would say that didn't happen. You know, you've exaggerated this. Mm. And and those events actually didn't happen and you're wrong. Um, It was actually, that was my biggest fear was was someone saying that you were wrong, Um, so when my sister did read it, and although she did not respond well, um, she she said it was pretty accurate, I remember a few things differently, but it's your story, and so then when she went on to say a whole bunch of horrible things, including don't publish it, I'm begging you, um, I was kind of like, what's that? Oh, you said it was accurate, great, (laughs) Um, yeah, but uh, for me it was the, it was the it was remembering things that had been clouded because I had chosen not to focus on them at the time. And other things seemed very vivid, like strangely all the drunken nights at Otago. <laughs> I don't
1: know how. I can't remember any of my time. Claire on time. is also an Otago <laughs> girl,
3: and she seems very nice
2: and sensible, but she's got some stories too.
1: <laughs> Kyle, what about you? How did you go back and rewrite
2: this? I mean, it's interesting because Marion has... Vivid memories of her childhood because her mother was a per- they would go for walks in the forest and her mother would Retell these stories and in Marion's mind. She has this vivid memory Whereas my family is like what happened yesterday is Gone, I don't remember what happened yesterday. We don't talk about I don't know anything about my parents how they got together I don't know anything about my family. I don't know anything about I've only got my life and what happened and but my brother There's one incident when I was having a fight. I had fought a lot in primary school, and I was having a fight with a popular kid, and um, we were on the thing, and suddenly this crowd was gathering, and my brothers were both in the last year of school at the same school, and I'm fighting this kid. And out of the back of my mind, I hear my brothers cheering for the other kid. (laughs) And I mentioned that to my brother a while back, and he went, oh, did we? There was no sense of oh shit did we? It was like oh right, and um, that sort of stuff. So it, for me, it was actually the hard part was fig- putting myself back in there because you have to, you know, publishers are very very pushy when it comes to setting scenes and details and getting the essence of it. That you can't just say oh yeah and then this happened. They go come on give me some more detail and you go okay. So you get back in and then this happened and, and then you have to start imagining the the sounds and the, and the smells, and do you remember anything? And, and in the end you think, yes, and then you offload this, this memory, but you think, is it true? <laughs> How true is this? This is now, but that's now my memory. I've read it in my book, it's true, people. <laughs> so that's my life story now. I've sort of, now I've gone through my life and you know, documented my life, and that now has become my, memories and the degree of truth in them is, I I feel they're true, that's as much as I can do. We believe you. You gullible people. uh, an interesting
3: quote, I don't know if it was Mary Carr, who said, um, memoir is uh, not an act of history, it's an act of memory. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's so true, I I think of, it also helps, I think if you think of a memoir as the telling of a story, Mm. you know, we all tell stories a little bit of exaggeration never goes wrong or a little bit of recreation, not that I'm saying that I made up anything, but you know, it's, um, if you hold yourself to having to remember everything perfectly, then you can write a memoir.
2: And and you're often, we're often, uh, when you're in the memory, I mean, not in the memory, but in the event, you're probably the last person to be seeing it with any objectivity, you're embroiled in it. And whether that happened, you know, you imagine this big crowd gathered, but there may have been four people, Mm I knew my brothers were there, possibly. Mm.
3: The moment you start to try and address it again, you go, oh. It, it seems so clear when you're not looking directly at it sometimes, and then when you do, you're like, oh, God, have I actually recreated a scene in my mind? Really? Yeah.
1: And, and, Charlotte, one of the fascinating things about your memoir is your relationship with your fiction and, and how much you're, oh, with your fiction.
4: Oh, fiction, right. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you
1: trace... Um, I mean, it almost seemed to me like you're working out aspects of the memoir through your fiction. So I yeah. wondered if you could talk about that a little bit.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I had, the, I, I had the line that, you know, when I tried to go back and inspect my memories, I ran into a wall of fiction. And um, so I had, some, I had some interesting sources for my, you know, my life history, which included... Um, <laughs> You know, obviously, all my life I've read my father's novels, which um, you know, for ev- all of us in the family, we can see all kinds of sources for all kinds of stuff in his fiction. Um, and then I had the other sort of difficulty that when I started to ask s- some more awkward and annoying questions, I ran into a wall of denial. I think, and it was, you know, no, that didn't happen, or um, you're a- as you're exaggerating. Was another one. Um, I mean, I th- they've definitely. I've definitely um, got that from someone or other in the family saying you're exaggerating, whereas in fact, my answer to that is actually, I spent months censoring this book, <laughs> you know? It's really censored. Um, so, um, but yeah, with the fiction, um, there's definitely, a rela- you know, there's a relationship between the, the memoir, which is a serious attempt to, to take a trip through real memory, which, I mean, as we know, is, is, mm-hmm. can be unreliable, and you know, there's the question of to what extent are you actually constructing memories when you go back? Yeah. And, um, and, and so I, I, you know, I suppose <laughs> I could have gone back and read my novels and you know, looked for clues. Um, but I also had the, the problem that um, I had, some, had had some experiences where I had, I think in my own mind, I had somewhat distanced myself mentally from them because they were quite difficult memories. And so I was navigating through that as well, um, where I had I, I did have a distinct sense that it wasn't I wasn't the one who had experienced those um, those events. It was it was a previous um, version of myself, and so I was navigating that too. So it was very it was a very complicated. So I think it's a miracle, in a way, if I've come out with any kind of coherent book, you know, um, just because it was, it was so complicated.
2: And that's the thing with the, especially the childhood memories, isn't it? Because it's so easy to dismiss. You're a child. You're... Yeah. And yet, that's your reality when you're in it as a child, and you've got this vivid moment.
4: Yeah, and I think, I mean... The, so you, I think you've got to keep in mind that, that memory is unreliable, and you've got to sort of have that that standpoint. But on the other hand, many memories are valid and vivid, and um, you know, completely to be validated. I think.
2: No, it's interesting. Interesting. With my there's moments. Uh, one of the only joys of my, one of the only joys of my life it sounds terrible. Was watching the FA Cup finals every year with my family. And my brother was really annoyed after reading my memoir that I said he was a Liverpool supporter. (laughs) (laughs) He's West Ham, people.
1: (laughs) So I'd like to ask, we've talked about the reception of your books from your parents, but I'm interested in the reception of your created families. So I wondered if we could talk about Marion, because this is a, a real love story in your memoir, Kyle, and you were so beautifully truthful about the ups and downs of marriage. And I wondered, did Marion help you write this memoir and how does she feel about it?
2: Yeah, Ma- Marian's probably the most open, an open-hearted person I know. Tissues <laughs> leave. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Marian, uh, since this hormonal thing is terrible, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I mention as as <laughs> Marion in any context like this, is like, and my brain's going, What are you doing? Just just yeah. So it's all um yeah. So she's um what was the question again? Yes. Yeah. She's didn't really. She allowed me to do what I needed to do, and she felt it needed to be done. And on an early draft, she said, "Sorry, you're making me come out too well in this," because you know we had had moments which were quite when we we got separated at some point and for a few years, which wasn't a great time, and she's saying, I come across two nights. I said, well, that's how I see you. (laughs) Next.
1: (laughs) Charlotte, women are important in your memoir. You you talk about a realisation of a lack of female friends around you, and, and the memoir can kind of really speak to why that is. But I wanted to know if you're still friends with the therapist who, who seemed to help you work through a lot of your traumas and memories.
4: Still friends? Friends with the therapist. The therapist. Yeah.
1: Well, you, um,
4: you're not meant to be friends with your therapist, <laughs> are you? Sadly, you know. Um, but I still, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think I owe that person a lot because I think I struck really lucky with her, um, and um, so I you know i 'm not completely um, cut off from from contact, um, but the the whole drama of our you know relationship that went on for years is, is not at that intense phase now, um, but it was for me, it was really formative you know it was my first experience of actually um, thinking. You know, I, this person is, is so interesting and so... And, and, I mean, she actually is. It wasn't just because she was listening to my shit endlessly. You know, she actually is. A, and, and I... Um, and part of the whole thing was actually discovering how marvellous, you know, um, a female friendship is and how I'd, how I'd completely missed out on it. And that's been the, just the most remarkable thing about this whole experience. Have you had women come to you since you've published the book? I've had the most incredible emails, it's just been fantastic, yeah, people um, saying that they've read the book and, and being extremely warm and kind and generous and also understanding. I mean, who knew that, you know, there was this whole um, world of people who actually could understand what you were talking about. I'm going to need the tissue in a minute as well. <laughs> Yes,
1: I have, yes, yeah, Yeah. and it's been great. I'm happy to hear that. And can I ask about your children? How do they feel about the memoir? Um, Well, they,
4: to my great relief, I was really worried about giving them the book, and um, to my relief, they are completely accepting of it, and my son, Conrad, who lives in London, wrote me the the most, um, because we do everything by email, Mm -hmm. as you do too, um, he he um, he wrote me an extraordinary email, because he, he's just done a Masters at UCL in English, so he did a sort of, it was like a sort of an analysis, but it was really funny, it was very funny, but it was extremely sort of generous, and accepting, and... Um, sort of so, he had it so kind of calmly in perspective that I just felt this is going to be alright, you know, this is great. So they're good.
1: Brilliant. And Lil, what about you? What about the friends who you write about in those really filmative times for you in Dunedin? How did they feel about the book?
3: Uh, I mean, uh, Emma Espiner, who's a big character in the book, has um, just was the first person that I really kind of came out came out to, and nothing has changed in terms of her unwavering support and she understands you know creativity and telling stories I think the, the 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 kind of more major characters uh, amongst my peers I reached out to before the book was published, and um, everyone was pretty amazing. I think there was one of them. Um, uh, the woman who I had an online relationship with from the States who was a bit unhappy with the betrayal, and that was fair enough because um, she had a different... Um, her memories of our relationship was that it was her first great love and mine was that um, I couldn't wait to ship her back overseas. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and that was really hard. Like, the, 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 the build-up to publishing the memoir, there was a lot of, um, hey, do you want to read your part and and that kind of thing, and... and, and most of the people react well. I think it was more like the characters that were were minor characters. Um, Some of them, uh, I think they felt confronted. There was one of my friends, who's still a good friend, who um, kind of, she was the first person I told that my relationship with my best friend in high school, who was now at university with us, um, had been more than just friends. And she then kind of went and told everyone. And She'd never, I'd never held her accountable for that until in the book where I said that happened and that was really horrible for me and for the, for the other party who she outed. And I think she feels guilty about that perhaps so it's caused a little bit of... I can sense her unease when she's around me now. It's like you were watching us the whole time and writing notes down, you know. <laughs> like, am I safe around you now? I'd like to talk about... I guess the
1: next relationship with these books, which which is with readers, because these books are going to impact people for a long time and into a future that we can't see. And um, I was interested in the idea that Kyle and Charlotte, you have a family of readers for your work. You're, You're such a successful children's writer. You're such a successful novelist and short story writer. How does it feel, to know that your readers' relationship with those works might change after reading the memoirs.
2: Yeah, um, one of my biggest fear, if you could call it that, when I was coming out was that my readership, especially I've um, written a few series for young boys, um, reluctant reader boys, and I've got so many emails saying they're really, um, that's the first book they've read, and the mothers would send me emails, and, and it's never, never fathers who send me emails for some reason. Reluctant reader boys never have fathers who send emails. And, and even one, one of them, when I came out, after a mother wrote to me and said uh, their son, her son was really loved one of my books, so they went online and she said, he was very disappointed to find out you're a woman. <laughs> and she said, but then they discussed it and eventually he's come to terms with that his favorite writer is, uh, is not a guy so, so there was was that that was that because i feel like i was making a difference in the lives of these kids i've had lots of amazing emails and you feel like i don't want to lose that mm-hmm. and i haven't really because i mean my first performance after my transition was you know i went to the school and i had in my head what am i going to do am i going to have to sit demurely down and, and, and be really, you know, calm. And I normally I jump around and do stuff. And, and I went, no, fuck it. So I just went by my performance. I didn't say, hello, I'm Kyle, I'm trans or whatever. I just went, normal, I'm Kyle, off I go. Kids enjoyed it, said goodbye, off. And um, I mean, one performance this girl put up, she was, the whole performance she was going, <laughs> <laughs> and I was going, okay, avoid her. And she just kept the hand up. And I eventually, and eventually said, um, what, okay, question time. What's your question? She said, I've been confused all morning. Said, you, you look like, why have you worn what you've worn? And I said, because my wife thought it was cute. <laughs> and she said, no, but I mean, but you, you, look like a, you look like a woman, but you talk like a man. And I was going, well, you know, that's a complicated story. And she just said, no, it's right And the teacher dragged her off. And <laughs> and the, but the sad part, the poignant part for me, was I was doing a signing after, and the teacher drags this girl, and she's all on the verge of tears and had to apologize. And, but it wasn't apologizing for the question; it was apologizing for the insistence that she was insi- insisting on. And, but I just felt so sorry for her, and just the only poor thing, <laughs> sorry for ruining your life. <laughs>
1: She'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte, what about you? How do you feel about a possible change relationship?
4: Um, we, we, the relationship with the
1: fiction? Yeah. yeah. Well,
4: quite a few people have said to me that they've gone back and looked at Mazarin in the light of reading the memoir. Um, and I don't... I mean, uh, to me, that seems absolutely fine. I can't see any... any um, I think, that in a way, that's quite if that makes it interesting more interesting um and I did have the idea that you know what what will I do next you know after I'd had this sort of reaction to the memoir I thought memoir I thought um, you know if they keep going on and on at me I'll I'll, I'll write volume two you know the memoir <laughs> <laughs> they're not careful um, <laughs> But then I had another idea where I thought I could write, um, the next book could be a novel and I could sort of weave in the memoir and then, um, you know, I, could, I thought I could really complicate matters. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, you know, the way forward is interesting, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and Lul, you've recently had some quite exciting news about, can you tell us about that?
3: Um, uh, South Pacific Pictures have optioned the book um, and we are hoping to make a TV series out of it. Um, Yeah, and I'm hopefully gonna get a chance to co-write with um, a very awesome writer, TV writer. Um, So that's, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, I've always loved writing for TV. I'm a bit of a jack of all trades because I'm a copywriter in my daily life. Um, So it's really exciting to get to try a new medium and to also think about um taking it to reaching more people you know i think by its nature when it when ho- hopefully when it becomes a tv series it will become a, a new thing in itself um you know but i but i hope that we capture the the heart of the, of the book you know um which is the coming out story but there's a lot of funny and dumb shit that goes down at otago as well so i think you know there's there's, there's a lot of stories to tell, and a lot of good characters.
1: And before we jump to audience questions, um, and you can start preparing yourselves, there's <laughs> microphones in the aisles, I believe you can walk to. But look, I wanted to ask you about your experience with, with young people. Um, you've, at this festival, you've spoken as part of the schools program, and I just I wondered what that experience is like and what kind of reaction you get from young people.
3: Um, I mean I love working with teenagers, that's really what, um, I've talked about this before but that's what sparked the book was that I used to go into high schools with Rainbow Youth and tell like they had a really awesome gender and sexuality program which they still have and then there would be a a ragtag collection of us would tell a, a five minute coming out story at the end and just the reaction from the teenagers was just like I'd never experienced before, they were just like, you know. just just really enraptured and lots of questions and and there was yeah it felt like a really big connection and so that's what made me want to write the whole story down um, and just now like I really don't think I could ask for more from um, I don't think an author could ask for a better reaction and it's which is all the people that message me a lot of women of all ages you know either kind of telling me their coming out stories or saying it was the first time they'd seen their feelings kind of articulated on the page, the first time that they'd heard anyone talk about those things, especially in a New Zealand context. Um, You know, I've had, I think it started the day the book was being published and I was very, I was freaking out basically because I knew that the, the shitstorm that was coming with my parents and my one of my very good friends' mother had rung her up and said, I heard Lil on the radio and I just wanted to say I'm so sorry for the way I treated you when you came out. I've realised that, that I could have acted better and that was kind of the beginning and I, now I just get such um, emotional, um, meaningful messages from, from people and I always said to myself that if I could help one person it would be worth whatever I had to go through and so getting everything else has just been joy upon joy. Almost too much to process, to be honest. Oh,
5: that's yeah.
1: Hey, um, we are really. Can we have some lights, perhaps, so we can see (laughs) the microphones? It's a little bit hard to see. I can see we've got one person down the front.
5: Hi, I'm um, Jill's from Wellington, and um, I I just want to say before I ask a question that yesterday in the bookshop upstairs, I intervened in a spat between um, over Charlotte's book, and it was a couple of older people who obviously sided with one side of the family. And and all I could say to the people, the four or five of us that witnessed the spat, was that it's beautifully written, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you think of what Charlotte thinks, because it's her story, and it's beautifully written. And I, want, I haven't read the other two stories, um, but I'm doing some study on memoir, and my question to you, or each of you, is... Did you study memoir before you started writing? And if so, who do you recommend to look at in terms of that authentic voice? And I don't think New Zealand's ever had the authentic voice that Barbara Summers' Tree of Strangers and Charlotte's book have spoken within a few months of each other. But just how did you actually decide to write from that voice, each of you?
3: Um, I'm a, I've always been like an absolute narcissist, so just always say to myself, No jokes. I mean, I, I was living in New York when I wrote a large part of the book, um, and so I was just at the Strand bookstore every night, um, not literally, um, but I went to a lot of talks and I went to a lot of talks about memoir, and that was really helpful. And everyone asked the same question, which was how do I deal with hurting other people in the memoir? And that's when I saw Mary Carr speak and she said, wait until they're dead. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of read um, memoirs and stuff, but in terms of finding voice, that was quite difficult for me because, one, I, I write in different tones of voice for my job, so I was kind of like, well, what, what's my tone of voice? And then I think there's dealing with, um, when you're dealing with um, difficult memories, um, and especially as a Kiwi, there's a tendency to be overly self-deprecating to a point where you're being a bit flippant, like, oh shit, i like, don't want me to get out of the house. Uh, you know, like, so I kind of veered between being too flippant and then being too bitter about it. So it took me a while to sit settle on, settle on the right tone of voice and what felt like me. Um, I'm not sure if that answers the question. Yeah.
2: And I just approached it like another story, really. And I tried to find, and voice is always the hardest thing to get right, mm. and so I wanted this engaging voice. And children's writing is surprisingly, a good um, practice for telling a good story because you do have to keep it simple. You, you have to keep it engaging every minute. You can't afford to wander off on long sidetracks. And so I just want to tell an engaging, it's, it's, it's a straightforward narrative, really. There's no, no circling back like some p- literary types. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, I have never written a book before that has actually caused fights in the bookshop. <laughs> um, Wait till
2: volume two. Yeah, um,
4: yeah start a riot. Um, I, I, I have to say that I didn't actually study memoir in order, you know, I didn't sort of go into it. I think I'm, like you, I thought of it as telling a, um, a story yeah. and embarked on it, um, with the idea, sort of, in the way that you would, as a, with a piece of fiction, that you've got to make it a compelling narrative if you can, but also that it's 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 got to be true. And because, um, you know, unlike a sort of classical autobiography where you know I was born and then I did this and then I achieved that and then I won this and yeah. lost that and all that, I thought this is because it centred around a, um, this particular crisis and and then which seemed to Suggest all sorts of other things to me. I wanted to just tell it as a, as a, um, as you would a piece of fiction. So with the same kind of careful structure, um, circling back, <laughs> a little circling back, but with the idea of, um, uh, you know, of making it all hang together in a in a in a, a beautiful shape. I hoped. Um, so so. So that was the way, I think I, I agree with you, I didn't approach it as, a, as a, pro, a project and therefore read. I mean, I do love reading memoirs and I also was very, got very engaged with reading a lot of Janet Malcolm and who wrote, um, the, um, uh, wrote an extraordinary book about the biographies um, of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes and the way that those books um, got at the truth, the different ways. So I think in a way Janet Malcolm was a, was a big, big influence and that's, I mean, I'm very, I, I put that in the book. Um, uh, yeah.
3: Um, I will say as well that The Art of Memoir is one book that I've found really helpful if you. And of my first beta reader um, said to me, a piece of advice was that don't judge your past self by your present self. And that was really helpful because um, you're really trying to be as honest about what you did, including the bad stuff. And, the dumb things you did, and, and I was doing a bit of like cringing at myself um, in the past, so that was one piece of advice that I thought was good. Do we have an, any other
1: audience questions? Yes. Hi, I'm AJ from Titorangi, <laughs> and um, I'm embarking on writing a memoir, and I listened to Mary Carr the other day as well, and I found that really helpful. Um, Interestingly I've got some people who may not like me to tell the story and that's kind of maybe stopped me and I thought about doing a fiction based on a true story. So I'm quite interested, Um, Mary Carr says just change all the names and did any of you change any names? I know Charlotte I've read your book which I really enjoyed and I know you changed the ex-partner Alex but were there any other names and did the other writers change any names?
3: (laughs) I changed all the names, except (laughs) for the few people who wanted um, to keep their names, like Emma. Um, But Mary Carr did say, give them an opportunity to choose their own name, because that would make them feel like they're a part of it. So I did that a lot. Um, But I did a real, right before the book was published, we did a privacy edit, and I changed a lot more. I actually changed a lot of detail for my sister after she read it, and I kind of regret doing some of that, and I kind of regret not pushing back on some things. Um, the people that I showed the book to or gave the opportunity to read the book, um, their stories are intact as they were, but other people, certain details were changed um, for, for privacy reasons, although I think you could figure it out if you knew them, to be honest.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, all mine's true, everyone there is true, they're real people, but my only fudging <laughs> Of the truth was there are there are scenes where there was always there was one member of my family was there, and if I mentioned that they were there, I'd have to unpack all that. So I just brushed them out. I'm like the Communist Party of 1945. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you weren't there. <laughs> History is clean Not without much. you there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good story. And yeah. So I'm, that's, I'm waiting till I'm about 80 or something, and I'll tell the. Rest of the story. My next memoir about families who fuck each other off. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for my language. Sorry. Very unladylike.
4: Yeah. Oh, uh, we uh, the uh, name changing. Yeah. Well, I obviously didn't have much scope for that. Um, <laughs> a certain. Yeah. Right. Um, but you yeah, no, I did change some names um, I did change the, the name uh, a, yeah Alex is not a, not a, not the real name and um, I did I did change some other names I changed the name um, um, of the Marie um, Sanders as a fictional name um, and I because otherwise everyone would want to go and consult her and that would just not be good um, but I, I think I did what you did, which was I left out. Rather than changing names, I just left out. I censored quite a lot, um, and I had. I felt that I had to be a bit careful with my siblings, um, and so I didn't want to sort of shortchange them, but I didn't want to step on their um, their sort of story. And so I I, I tended to do what what what, Carl described, where you know she just, if, if there was some, too much to unpack, um, I would just leave them out of, of the picture there, yeah.
2: And in the end it does come down, in the end it comes down to again that, you know, if you're gonna tell it, then it's, you either accept that, or even with Lil, you know, she changed the names, but people still know who it is, the people who were involved will know anyway. So it's like, is it important to keep that secret or not?
3: I think you have to, um, yeah try and protect people, but ultimately there's only so much you can do, you're going to break some eggs to make that omelet, mm. you know.
1: I think we've got time for one more question, if there are any more in the audience.
2: No? I, could, I was going to mention as well with, um, before I got all teary before about my lovely wife, <laughs> that she is, um, her, she constantly she says she wouldn't change her world, she is stressful, she doesn't like her. She says there are a lot of personal details in there, but she's accepting that because, um, for example, we've had a few, we had a 70-year-old trans woman turn up at our door in the middle of nowhere and just turned up and said she was a dairy farmer till a couple of months ago, and (laughs) her wife died, and she turned up, and Maureen's first reaction is, that outfit doesn't suit you. And she would like to be Trini and Susanna for trans people. <laughs> so does anyone want to start a business? Um, but, she, but she always says, you know, she wouldn't. She says it's been hard, but she wouldn't change it because the, the, the closeness we've got now and the, all that stuff that's happening, the peripheral stuff of being, you know, people coming and, and confiding in us. It's amazing when you come out, I'm not sure if it happened to Lil as well, but people feel like they can confide in you because you've got... Mm you've given so much out. You've got Mm -hmm. no secrets, so I suppose they want to share.
3: I think, you know, being vulnerable is very powerful and I encourage everyone to do it. (laughs) Mm. You can all come out. Who's coming out? Come and see me later. We can talk (laughs) feelings. Well, I I want to
1: really thank you for your bravery and being so honest and, and I think Emma Eastman said this in her review of, of your work, Charlotte, that you enable other people to be truthful about their own story. And so I think we can all be very grateful and thankful for that. So I'd like you to please give Charlotte, Kyle and a big
3: one.
0: Tanakwe, You've been listening to a podcast from the 2021 Auckland Writers' Festival Waituhi or Tāmaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.